So we're just trying to open a bottle of fat here. Right, there we go. Oh, it smells mm. good. Yeah. <laughs> Zazdaruya. Yeah, Zazdaruya. Even if it is yeah. from <laughs> different parts of the country. Yeah, it'd be nice to see your face, but um, I can imagine you're enjoying this. Always. I love a bit of kvass. Yeah. Great. So, welcome to the 10 Minutes podcast series. I'm Alex Vygursky. I'm joined here by James Bolton-Jones. Hello. And we're both editorial assistants at the Post-Soviet Press Group, a news discussion group at the School of Slavonic and East European Studies at University College London, and otherwise known as CIS. As a press group, we focus on the current affairs of the countries of the former Soviet Union. So that's 15 countries, from Estonia in the north, through Tajikistan in the south and all across Russia to the Far East. That's some distance covered. Yes, it is. And in each episode of this series, we'll be focusing on one of these 15 countries in detail to give you all the basics you need to know. We'll be covering things like language, culture, history and the biggest news stories affecting the country today. And we'll be cramming it all into around 10 minutes per episode. So this week, we're starting a series with Belarus, a very important nation which suffered perhaps more than any other in the Second World War, often referred to as Europe's last dictatorship, and currently in the midst of one of the biggest protest movements of the 21st century. That's right. And to take us through this episode, we've got a bottle of kvass, which you've heard us opening at the start of the show. It's a famous Belarusian drink made from fermented bread, and at 0.3%, it's uh, technically classified as non-alcoholic. So hopefully UCL will be okay with us (laughs) drinking it here. (laughs) Well, it goes all the way back to at least the 10th century, doesn't it? And nowadays you can get lots of different flavours, can't you? In Belarus, you can have blackcurrant, raspberry, even vanilla. But we've got the classic plain one here. James, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's uh, Sainsbury's finest import, I believe. Right, let's crack on with the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, let's pour another glass and get going. So first things first, what would you say are some basic facts about Belarus that everyone needs to know? Okay, so Belarus is in Eastern Europe, nestled in between Poland and Lithuania to the west, Ukraine to the south, Latvia in the north and Russia to the east. It has a population of just under 9.5 million, which mostly speaks Russian, uh, with speakers of Belarusian in the minority. Uh, A poll from 2009 indicated that fewer than 8% of Belarusians actually use the Belarusian language regularly. And at risk of you butchering the pronunciation, can you maybe say anything in Belarusian? Uh, how about Havaisa Ubulbu? Nice. And what does that mean? Uh, well, it's a saying that literally means hide in your potatoes. But uh, you say it when something bad has happened, like, oh, no, that's not good. Better go hide in some potatoes. <laughs> OK. Uh, speaking of which, we're drinking this kvass, which is really going down very well. And if we were in Minsk, what food would we be having to go with it? Uh, well, for a snack to go with a drink, we might ha- be having uh, sirbriki. I think potato crockets, but fried in lard, although I fear I once again um, wrangled the pronunciation. But anyway, um, for a more substantial meal, it will still probably have potato in it, but there's a huge variety. It's not just about potato pancakes. Okay, but potato pancakes are still delicious. Yeah, of course. Okay, we can move on. History then. If most Belarusians speak Russian, presumably that means Belarus was part of Russia at some point? Uh, Not exactly. Um, So Belarus gained independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. Uh, and before that, the territory of what is now Belarus was, was part of the Russian Empire. But it would be a big mistake to think of Belarus as some kind of extension of Russia. Before today's Belarus became part of the Russian Empire near the end of the 18th century, it was part of a polity known as the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And before that, it was part of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, also known as Litva. 
We should also note that the term Belarus was not used uh, at this point uh, with the local Slavic populations of Litva, who would later become Belarusians and Ukrainians, uh, known then as Ruthenians. That's a lot of names and dates, James. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, it doesn't stop quite there. Uh, Belarusian nationalists often refer to the city of Polatsk, which today is a small town in northeastern Belarus, as the place where Belarus began. It was first mentioned by chroniclers in 862. And how about religion in Belarus? I know that Roman Catholicism is popular in Poland and Russia has a lot of Orthodox, doesn't it? So if Belarus has been under both Russian and Polish influences in the past, does it fall somewhere in between the two? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So um, Belarus has always had several religions competing for its populace's favour. Uh, we don't really have time to get into the fascinating history of religion in Belarus here. But to give a very brief overview, um, Polatsk, which I mentioned just earlier, um, which many use as a founding myth for modern-day Belarus, adopted orthodoxy around the end of the 10th century AD. But when the Belarusian lands came under the control of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, uh, Roman Catholicism gradually became more popular, especially after the Kingdom of Poland started to exert more influence uh, over the Grand Duchy. An important event to remember is the Union of Brest in 1596, uh, when uh, a new church was created called the Uniate Church. This basically incorporated elements of Roman Catholicism and Orthodoxy, and uh, became increasingly popular during the course of the next 200 years or so. Uh, however, when a better Russian lands uh, came under the control of the Russian Empire, many Uniate believers were forcibly converted to Orthodoxy, and the Uniate Church was finally completely banned in most of the Russian Empire by 1839. And religion was outlawed during Soviet times, right? So how has it fared since independence? There's been an Orthodox and Roman Catholic resurgence, in fact, uh, with the president, Alexander Lukashenko, enthusiastically promoting uh, Belarus's Orthodox credentials in the early 2000s, partly to emphasise historical ties with Russia, and he remains pro-Orthodox to this day. Uh, Roman Cath Catholics are the second biggest religious de denomination, um, though they are often portrayed by the regime as a kind of Polish fifth column. So obviously the history of Belarus is long, complex and nuanced, and we've inevitably had to gloss over a lot of the detail just there. But we should very quickly mention an important event, the Second World War. Yeah, we, we really should. And it absolutely devastated Belarus, um, leading to, uh, by some estimates, the death of a quarter of its population. Uh, Belarus was not, the on not only the main route for the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union, um, but also the way that they left as well, which was um, during uh, the Soviet Operation Bagration, um, which finally succeeded in expelling the Nazis from Soviet territory. Belarus also once had a thriving Jewish population, um, with one of its most famous members being uh, the painter, Marc Chagall. Uh, but this was almost entirely wiped out during the Holocaust. So what happened after Belarus gained independence in 1991? Did Lukashenko come to power straight away? No, uh, the first three or four years were pretty chaotic, uh, where, but no one leader managed to consolidate their power. Um, this changed in 1994 when Alexander Lukashenko, who is actually a former pig farmer, um, ran right. for the position of presidency, uh, which had been created in 1994. So is this the point in which Belarus becomes a dictatorship? Not quite, though the 1994 election was certainly the only one which Lukashenko won fairly. Uh, after that, Lukashenko then set about uh, targeting opposition figures with a number disappearing without a trace in the late 90s before winning all the subsequent presidential elections through a combination of uh, election fraud, using the power of the state to secure votes, stymieing the opposition and supporting fake opposition candidates who ended up supporting Lukashenko once they were elected. And that brings us up to the current day, doesn't it? And right now, Lukashenko is facing mass protests, which have been going on for many months. So what happened? 
So a key date to remember is the 9th of August 2020, um, the day of the presidential election, uh, when uh, a dubious exit poll gave Lukashenko 80% of the vote and the main opposition leader Svetlana Tikhonovskaya only 10%. Uh, some then went out onto the streets to protest peacefully, um, but sadly they were met with really shocking police brutality. And when people mm. saw the violence the state was using on its own citizens, that is supposedly the moment everything changed. And every day after that, more and more people came out onto the streets until every weekend there were hundreds of thousands of people protesting in multiple cities. Yeah, and in those first few days, it was so inspirational how it seemed like every time they beat up a certain number of people that only made more come out the next evening. So you said people did not believe the official election results. How did they know? Has that been proven? Well, this time around, a group of tech-savvy civilians set up a website called uh, Golas, or Voice, uh, asking people to take pictures of their ballot papers and send them in for an independent count. This was pretty clever, as um, obviously no one can stop you taking a photo in a private voting booth. Um, and then out of the million votes that they got sent, Tikhonovskaya uh, got 95% and Lukashenko just 1%. Um, which they reckon is enough to prove that Lukashenko couldn't have got his 80%, which he claimed he'd got, even if he had uh, won every other vote possible. Yeah, that does seem like pretty damning evidence. I guess the question then is, why now? Why have people suddenly decided that they have now had enough of Lukashenko after so many elections like this already? So there are several reasons. Um, First is probably the weak economy. Um, And many say that Lukashenko has been losing uh, legitimacy for many years now. Um, Second, the pandemic. Um, Lukashenko's response to COVID became notorious worldwide uh, as Belarus was one of the only countries not to go into any kind of lockdown. Yeah, didn't he tell citizens something like drink vodka and go to the sauna instead? Yeah, he, he did. And unsurprisingly, this is this is widely thought to have alienated his support base. Um, we should also mention uh, the role of some inspirational individuals uh, like Svetlana Tikhonovskaya, who is a former school teacher whose husband was jailed for trying to run for president. And so she decided to run in his place. Uh, there's also Maria Kolesnikova, uh, one of the key opposition figures who uh, heroically tore up her passport when the authorities tried to force her out of the country so that they had to let her stay. Um, but most of all, this has been a people's movement um, triggered by seeing and, and hearing about mass arrests, beatings and horrendous torture used by the police on peaceful protesters. Um, they simply had, had had enough. And uh, in Tikhonovskaya's words, they are not afraid of anything anymore. Right. And looking to the future now, what has the reaction internationally been to all of this? So the EU has imposed personal sanctions on Lukashenko and other individuals linked to the regime. And uh, Tikhonovskaya, having been expelled from the country, is now travelling around uh, campaigning for greater sanctions. Uh, Another important one to watch is the role of Russia. So far, the protests haven't really been anti or pro-Russian, just purely anti-Lukashenko. But for now, Russia seems to be backing Lukashenko, even if Putin doesn't have a particularly great relationship with him. And what about any other issues facing the country? Well, I think we're running out of time, so I'll keep it fairly brief. Um, But there are lots of reasons uh, Belarus is important, irrespective of whether Lukashenko is in power. Um, It's positioned at the border between the EU and Russia, and it remains to be seen whether it can develop close ties with both at the same time. Um, It's also crucial to the environment. Um, It has a huge amount of forests uh, known as the lungs of Europe. And Belarus is still suffering from the legacy of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster uh, in 1986, which contaminated huge areas. And there are fears it still affects the country's food supply today. Okay, we are really running out of time now. So I think we'll have to call it a day. But before we do, we should also say a huge thanks to Andrew Wilson for his help in putting this episode together. Andrew's an expert on Belarus at UCLC's. And his book on Belarus, Belarus, the last European dictatorship, is getting a new edition published imminently. So Definitely, definitely worth checking out if you want to know more.
Yeah, perfect reading over a bottle of kvass, I'd say. Yeah, exactly, James. Right, bye. See you next time. Bye.